Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Quibi. Quibi. Yeah, you are Quibi. Yes, we will talk to you about that. My condolences on CNN Plu and its untimely death, although not really untimely. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, let me give, me, give us the rundown here. We got to get to Twitter because obviously Elon's about to take it over. Um, but tell us what will happen to your, what's going to happen from the inside, what occurs. Give us the lowdown. Well, I'll, I'll try and give you the cliff notes. Big okay. picture, the, the thing the tail wagging the entire dog of streaming right now is mm-hmm. since I signed my deal in August, Netflix has gone from being worth three hundred billion to a hundred billion. So mm-hmm. when Netflix goes down seventy percent, the entire you know when Netflix sneezes, the entire streaming market um, catches pneumonia. And if mm-hmm. you look at it this way. <laughs> Netflix gives you $2 billion of content for every dollar a month, uh, which means that even at three bucks a month, CNN Plus was supposed to show up with $6 billion in content. They spent $300 million, so they literally showed up with a squirt gun to a howitzer fight. It was kind of over before <laughs> it began, and we even alluded to that. The The thing that was shocking mm-hmm. is, you know, as Dove Seidman says, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah. There's some real, like what I'd call, Fairly serious little dick, little dick energy here, mm-hmm. oh. and that is Discovery said Discovery or CNN waved the middle finger as far as I can tell at Discovery and said we're launching this with or without your permission two mm-hmm. weeks before you take us over, mm-hmm. and then two weeks after Discovery showed up, they basically said, "Bitch, I'm on top," and they not mm-hmm. only unplugged the thing, they smothered it with a pillow. <laughs> I mean, you know how I found out about this? What? How? As I find out about everything from you, you texted me and said, are you all right? And of course, I got panicked because I thought something really bad had happened. No, sorry. And then I got forwarded the article. And I think everyone at CNN Plus, I think nobody at Hudson Squares found out about this until it was in the media. So I I don't understand. There's some anger and ego here because Mm -hmm. this is not, from a shareholder standpoint, how you treat people. The, The executives, Discovery, CNN, and the talent... Quite frankly, Kara, we all look really fucking stupid. Yeah, you do. And yeah. Well, he had to cut prices. Let's get to the actual thing. Is he has this enormous like the stock is languishing and doing badly since the acquisition, right? Since April eighth yeah. or something like that. One, he had to he promised fifty five billion dollars in cuts, so had to start or whatever. How much? Three billion dollars in cuts. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. He's got fifty five billion dollars in in. Um, loans and different debt and stuff like that. So he's got a cut and he's got to look like he's strong. And he's a cutter, by the way. He's someone who does that over at Discovery. And so he had to show that he could do it by do something, by sacrificing something significant. Also, Jason Kylar did this, even though it was signaled to him not to, although they make the argument on that side that they did not do that, that they didn't signal to him that heavily in that regard. There's a big argument over how well it was doing initially and whether it should have been cut this quickly. But I think he just needed to f- do a flex on on for Wall Street. Like, I'm in charge. I can cut things. Look at what I just did and give him to buy him some breathing space. And the way he did it, I agree, was kind of, you know, to me, you're in the media. Oh, well, that's the way it goes kind of thing. You better suck it up, you know, sister. But it certainly was pretty abrupt. It was pretty fascinating how abrupt it was. But the thing is, a little bit of pushback there. Right. Most of the money had already been spent. Yeah, yeah. These anchors aren't Uber drivers, no. they're going to get their money. Yeah, they, it was and part rather, of the deal. 
That's what and I rather, The first signal I got was this is clearly ending soon, right. was all this negative press was coming out, mostly, uh, especially from quote-unquote conservative media, mm-hmm. and Discovery wasn't hitting back because right. they could have said, well, Chris Wallace's interview with Jen Psaki today was the number one story in the media. They could have mm-hmm. said, I was getting hundreds of emails saying, why isn't it available in this country? We had just gone right. on Roku. They could have easily started pinging out good news, and they didn't. It's like, oh, my gosh. Our parents are not our allies. They're the enemy. There was even rumors that Discovery was leaking negative numbers about CNN Plus to create cloud cover to close it down. And this business is about talent. If you're Chris Wallace, do you do a deal with Discovery ever again? Yeah, well, he has to stay there, right? He's going to move. A lot of these people had contracts. Just so you know, there are people who are hired and are losing their jobs and have to reapply at CNN if they're available. And then there are people with contracts that is presumably— like Audie Cornish, yourself, and others. Um, oh, I assume they have. Con- I assume she has a contract um, that have to be either paid out or, or somehow prorated. I don't really know. No, what's they're all going to they- get paid out, Kara. They all. Yeah, it, that's yeah. the thing. This did not make any. Whenever you see something that doesn't make sense, there's mm-hmm. anger and ego involved, and there is anger yeah. and ego involved here because you know what they could have done very easily. Oh, we're going to take Chris Wallace's hit program over to the CNN Core program. We're going to take mm-hmm. Carrie Champion's program over to Turner for Final Four. They mm-hmm. could have figured out a million ways to have peace with honor here. Instead, mm-hmm. this was like Discovery saying, oh, wait, fuck me? No, fuck you. No, I'm and, not so sure. I think they had to show Wall Street that it had that it could do something like this. I don't know. I feel like it was – I agree. I, I, to put it on to the Jason Kylar versus David Zaslav thing is, is a little bit – but it certainly is we're in charge here and our stock is languishing. And so we need to do something significant. That, to me, is what it looked like. But go ahead. You, you have your but, side. Okay. But uh, as someone who has run companies, as someone mm-hmm. who has been on the board of big public companies, yeah. this isn't how you roll. This yeah. isn't how you treat people. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. talking about the anchors cashing seven-figure checks. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the gaffer and the sound guy and the editor. Yeah who read they may not have health insurance. And also, I do want to be clear, Discovery is being generous with severance. Mm -hmm. But you call people like Mm -hmm. five minutes before they read about it in the New York Times. Well, that is, this is media. This happens a lot. This is not a fresh, I I have anything I've been involved with, this has happened like a zillion times. This is media. So I think the leak got out ahead of them. I can't believe people would actually do, behave or treat other people this way. I don't. How does how does discovery? <laughs> you haven't do worked for News Corp, have you? But go ahead. I guess not. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'm naive to the media you world. Are. Oh, trust me. I yeah. had we had such a back and forth with the News Corp people when we were leaving, and such astonishing liars, and totally tried to kneecap us, and it wasn't helpful at all. We were going to go quietly because we wanted to leave, but they, they, you know, I had emails. Luckily, that I that I threatened but to did, leak. But did you so. see the article in BuzzFeed yesterday? No, what, what did I do? BuzzFeed put out this really well-researched article mm-hmm. saying with a big CNN mm-hmm. logo and a big Apple TV Plus logo that said mm-hmm. CNN Plus and Apple TV mm-hmm. Plus had just come to an agreement. Oh, Their yeah. Apple TV was going to begin distributing mm-hmm. a lot of the CNN Plus content. And it went through every mm-hmm. program they were taking. And it made a lot yeah. of sense, the RBG stuff, the Murdoch stuff. And then it listed three programs Mm-hmm. of the weeklies, Tappers, mm-hmm. Andersons, and mine. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm getting emails from my team saying, wait, we're back in business with Apple TV+. Plus." No. Fortunately, I know someone very senior at Apple TV+, Plus who confirmed that there was absolutely no talks of any kind. Mm-hmm. So we have a hoax published on BuzzFeed 
Mm-hmm. Nobody at Warner knew anything about it. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, everyone's saying we, ne- we need less moderation in media. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a, what looked like a very credible article yesterday mm-hmm. saying CNN Plus and Apple TV Plus had come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. So the honest answer, you asked me, what happens to the content? Where does it go? I have no idea, Kara, and nor mm-hmm. does any appear anyone else at Hudson you? Yards. You might as well tell me. Have they, have they have they said anything? Or what's the communication to you? The communication— Toss them under the bus, Scott. Go ahead. No, the communication from all the people at Warner mm-hmm. has been nothing but gracious, mm-hmm. a little bit embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And how can we be helpful? Uh, uh, they couldn't have been nicer. Mm-hmm. The only communication I've got is I've heard from three other media companies saying, hey, do you want to talk? Mm-hmm. But in terms, I have yet to speak to a person at mm-hmm. Discovery, mm-hmm. and everyone else I speak at Warner is sort of like chagrined. How can we be helpful? What have you heard? Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone at Hudson Yards has has been told anything. As and far what as happened I know. to your team specifically? Since we're well, not getting my, this out of Anderson Cooper, but go ahead. My team at Prop G Media mm-hmm. is fine because we make the majority of our r- revenue, at, you mm-hmm. know, with books, speaking, podcasts, and the other stuff. So everyone here is just kind of relieved because this was this was more work than any of us mm-hmm. had anticipated. I think my my team, our team at Warner, is very mm-hmm. nervous as they should be because what you're about to see in streaming media mm-hmm. is going to be a bloodbath over the next eighteen yeah. months. The general cadence of the market or complexion of the market around streaming was as long as you kept growing subscriber base, even if the you can ignore mm-hmm. the economics, mm-hmm. we'll keep taking the value of your firm up. And then when the lead dog loses 70% of their value, they're like, I mean, think of this math, and we'll close on mm-hmm. this point because I know we got to move on. Mm-hmm. There's supposedly going to be somewhere between 220 and 240 billion in, in investment in original content spent in America or, or spent across these companies. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a global number, but let's just use American numbers as the denominator, American households. There's 115 million U.S. households. 25 or 35 million are either so far right, they don't want that profane streaming in their house, or they're so Mm -hmm. far left, they tell everyone, oh, we only read The Atlantic, we don't watch TV. So call it Mm -hmm. 80 million households are streamable. Mm -hmm. That means that these companies are spending $3,000 per household to send you Euphoria Mm -hmm. and Bridgerton and Better Call Saul. That is just not sustainable. I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about your cable bill. I'm not talking about your phone bill. I'm talking about how much Hulu and Netflix and Amazon TV, uh, Amazon Prime are spending just on content yeah, yeah. to send you the marvelous yeah, Mrs. Yeah, it was Mizell. fine when Netscape was alone. But, I mean, Netscape, excuse me, Netscape. Netflix, oh, yeah. Netflix was alone. That said, I think Bill Cohen, who we both agree is really smart, um, he said that they, he thinks the, the run on Netflix is ridiculous, given the finances of it and how well, how big it is and how far ahead it is and stuff. I mean, so, it's, it's, it's drawdown, that it's oversold. Yes, he's like, this is ridiculous. This the, the amount, No, no, the amount of how the stock's gone down. He was arguing... This is stupid. This the, the the attack the the attack on their stock is stupid and it is worth a lot more. I'm just he just did a really interesting. Well, we the, you could say on. that you could say that about everyone mm-hmm. from Moderna to PayPal. I mean, there yeah. is literally no shortage of companies down seventy percent in the last mm-hmm. six months. Yeah, but this is. Netflix is the tail wagging the entire media yeah. dog right now. Specifically, yeah. it's shedding seventy percent of its value. It's the reality. This it just it's a basic lesson in economics. It got overspent, and what I'm learning, and everyone learned, is that when certain decisions kind of don't make sense, I don't give them the credit you're giving them in terms mm-hmm. of trying to si- send a signal about how decisive they are. This was anger and ego. Oh, I, this is I, just I don't weird. think it was a good signal. I just think I I can see them saying it. They're like this. They're they're yeah. they're um. 
besides the we're in charge here vibe, which I yeah. think was interesting, and the sort of underhanded stuff, I think, you know, after the Zucker thing, now remember, Zaslav was very close to Zucker, and the anger at Jason Kylar is very real. There's no question yeah. about that. But I think they had to, they had to say something to Wall Street, and this was dramatic. They look stupid doing it, and I wouldn't mind saying that to David Zaslav to his face. It's just the way it was done seems, it seems talent negative, um, it seems un- makes everybody feel nervous. Um, I, I'm pretty. I know that these deals for the big talent, like Anderson Cooper's, were part of their deal. They got paid whether they did it or not. Right? It didn't matter. Again, it was already paid up front. Right. So they look. They're just. They just decided to take the most high profile thing and sacrifice it right there to show that they had. They were in charge here, sir. And that was not just because they were angry is because of its its virtue signaling to Wall Street. And I still don't think it matters because they are in for a world of trouble because they're not big enough. And they're well they, they got fifty five billion dollars in debt. That is and correct. they have a shareholder base that's used to a dividend and slow growth. They and gotta now all shift of a sudden, that shareholder base very yeah, quickly. It's got a sell out of AT and T and so they've got a transition yeah. shareholder base. And you've got David Zaslov. And just so I can cement the fa- fact that I right. will not be on HBO Max, yeah. David Zaslov has moved he's gone Hollywood. He's moved to L.A. and he's going on Oprah. You know when you know an executive is no longer about their company, they're about themselves? When they go on to do an interview... On that a network that's not the theirs. Company. No, no, it wasn't a network. It was it was for a it was for a it's with Oprah a, all hands. It was an all hands. Yes, she's a friend of his. She, he but started. wasn't it broadcast? It, I don't know, but it was all, it was an all hands for the company. Ever because someone who watched it said it was the weirdest thing they ever saw. Um, uh, so it was an all hands. So that was. I'm sorry, you weren't okay. But if you're if you're granted, yeah, we was, all got to eat. But if you're yeah. anchor a talent at yeah. CNN Plus, you do a deal with Discover. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Discovery? this is interesting. And he's bought a big estate, and he's definitely doing that. I just think, I, I, we'll see. You know, he's a very good operator. He cuts costs and everything else. Well, but clearly. Not, you know, but that's what he's known Look, for. And the bottom line is, this was yeah. the right decision. It's yeah. just, again, how it was done. I mean, I, I wow. So uh, your stuff, you don't know what's going to happen to your stuff. So I was literally at University High School right. doing something right. on high schools and right. education on Wednesday, and this happened Thursday morning. And last right. week- they put two new producers on my show because of the success and the numbers it was showing. Yeah, you were doing pretty well. That's what and to say. and then Thursday on Wednesday, I found out that we were the the most successful weekly program. And on Thursday, mm-hmm. I read the whole network had been unplugged. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, felt bad. Everyone's like, "Is Scott okay?" I'm like, "I'm sure he's fine." I'm like, yeah, I'm fa- you did I'm a nice fine. thing. The sex the sex tweet was good. Shorts, <laughs> loved every. <laughs> Loved every minute over too fast. So And what sex. if I told you, where have you come back to? Kara Swisher. The only way you can be ahead As is always. in a home show ba- with Kara Swisher. Mom, I'm back home. <laughs> can I'm I just back tell you? Home. Let me just say, so Scott has been a little bit distracted. You didn't turn my room into an office, did I'm you? I'm going you to. You didn't I'm gonna, turn you know, my room into an office. You know who I was hanging out with it? last night who loves me? Ask Amanda Katz. John Stewart, my new best friend. Yeah, and I'm John just telling you. In a parking lot the night he was being feted, he was like, intensely talking to me. I was like, you need to go into your party. Let me just say, yeah. you better come home or else so I'm going to find Stewart, a nice Have you been watching his program? I really like it. I don't like, like his program. I don't, oh, I don't no, like it. Oh, it's gotten better. I don't like Trust he and me, I, it's gotten better. A, he and I have talked about it a lot. We're going to have it's lunch to discuss educational. it more. He, he, he's it's a, really he's good. wonderful. This event last night for him, Mark Twain, it was literally, it was Jimmy Kimmel, who I, who was, who I just had on to get got yeah. to me, Olivia Munn, Bruce Springsteen sang, like I was 14, 
seven feet away from him singing um, Born yeah. to Run, an acoustic version. Dave Chappelle was there, Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian. It was so much fun. And I got to say, John Stewart and yeah. uh, Samantha B. Uh, Stephen Colbert had to call in because he had COVID. Um, let me just say, John Stewart gave one of the best speeches I've seen and so funny and so uh, tre- uh, trenchant. Is that the word? Um, really amazing. No, I have to say, there's talent. a Even though he sort of tried to retire and wonderful family, the whole thing was amazing. But let me just say, he has a lot to say still. And I'm trying to get him to realize how, you know, there's a lot of stories recently that have been using an interview I did with him Mm -hmm. to say, they called me casually insulting. I was not being insulting in that piece. I was asking him what he's doing. And I was wanted to have a good debate with him about it. And it was turned into an Atlantic story, which was about whether he was relevant or not, because I asked him directly if he thought he was and what he was doing. And my criticism of the show, I was meaning to say, this guy still has it. And and I want to know what he's doing. And instead it was like, is he washed up? Which I think is bullshit. He's not. Let me tell you, he's not. Family. I mean, he created the up. amount of people he created and created a genre. Let me just yeah, say, as someone who's mentored a lot of people, this guy still has it and he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need any you know, crackers, I, saltines? I, what or? I found so, I mean this sincerely, I was mm-hmm. at my high school on Wednesday and I spoke to the leadership class there. Yeah. I was in leadership and I yeah. said, someone, someone asked me, what is quote unquote the secret to your success? And, it, and this is true. It's rejection. When I was in high school, I ran for sophomore, junior, and senior class president. Mm-hmm. I lost all three times. And based on my track record, I decided to run for student body president where I, wait for it, lost. Mm-hmm. The key to success is your willingness to endure failure and rejection. And you never know what's going to happen. You just right. never know what's going to happen. You so do. nothing's ever as good or as bad as, as it seems. So on Wednesday, when they told me my show was the best weekly, it yep. wasn't as good as it seemed. And on Thursday, when the thing got unplugged, guess what? Yeah. It's not as yeah. bad as it yep. seems. So, yep. And I'm blessed because TV was something I did, but it wasn't what I do. Uh, yes. You know, it's just like, it's like 5%, it was 5% of my income, now it's 0%, and it was yeah. 20% of my time. Yeah, well, now so, you're back, and you understand where you're going to have a big hit TV show is with me, I'm sorry to tell there you. There you go. You, I hate to tell you, but there you're you stuck go. with me, and you're stuck with our lovely Pivot team. This if is where this you is go. wrong, I don't want to be right, Kara. <laughs> if sorry this that you is went wrong, off. I don't want to be right. You went off with your date, your Anderson I Cooper date. I tried to get, uh, that's not you fair. Can't, you that's can't, not this fair. is the third time. Guess, that's now not fair. Now you know. You Come on. Come on. You're going to have to come home who, and you're going to see what's going to happen. You need anyways, to trust I'm me on this. You need to trust me. By the way, people were also worried if you were upset about Elon, which we're going to talk about oh, today. God. Looks like he's Not getting upset, Twitter. Like wrong. I said, like I said. You uh, said you didn't know. I didn't know, Bill but I thought Cohen he was. was and right. I was te- yes, I was also tending towards Bill Cohen's argument. You said, uh, no way. And uh, I said, way. You were tending. So, you well, were te- I, I've you're, written columns. You're a tender. You I've written, a tender. I'm a tender offer. I said, I don't know how he couldn't win. That's what I said. All right, Scott, you know, you're going to have to dry your CNN plus tears now. Are you done? Are we done? Hold me. Hold no, me. No, we're going to move on Although, to you know Elon. what? You are. It's so funny. I, the first message I get, I always get my bad news from you. You're like, are you okay? <laughs> well, I want to make I am sure. Such, I am such the needy little sister in this relationship. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm literally, worried. I felt like, oh, no, he really I'm, liked doing I'm this. Like, and oh my big brother knows something bad happened. I'm like, is oh, dad well, you dead? Know what? You had done some very nice work. I thought it was ridiculous that they didn't have a plan with all like the good stuff, cutting some of the stuff. I'm, I'm not sure Jake Tapper's book. 
things should continue. That's my feeling well, on that one. Oh, it's public access television and woke us down. <laughs> right, <for Jack>. exactly. <laughs> but I thought your show was quite good. And I thought, why didn't they do something about it? In any case, you're back home. It's an office. You've turned it into a gym. Uh, <laughs> Dad, where's my Snoopy bedspread? <laughs> it's gone, gone. No, we're staying here. We're waiting for you to come back. We knew you were going to, in any oh, case. God. Okay, Scott, let's get to our first big story. All right, Scott, if we sound a little different, it's because we're re-recording this later in the day because things happen. And we had a whole taping, and then the, our fans were clamoring for our thoughts right now because Elon actually did get a hold of Twitter. Scott, where are you right now? Uh, you know, I'm in a car from the airport, and I'm basking in the wonderful notion of Kara that finally I get to express myself. Finally, Kara. <laughs> finally, I get to be the real me. On the less moderated Twitter. Thank God. You're welcome, girl. Here it comes. All right. So let me start. We're updating this segment because just a few hours after we wrapped today, and by the way, it was a very entertaining back and forth, Twitter agreed to sell itself to Elon for $54.20 a share, weed o'clock, in a deal worth about $44 billion. It's actually happening. Uh, the deal was unanimously approved by Twitter's board. It's expected to close this year, pending a vote of Twitter's shareholders and some regulatory approvals. It doesn't look like he'll face any challenge from the Justice Department or the FTC, but we'll see what happens. Now, Scott, you did not think this would happen. I did, and Bill Cohen definitely did. Yeah. So you had talked a while ago, I'm going to give you credit, that Twitter was going to be in play. You just didn't think this was the one that would land. So explain what you think now. Well, in a word, Kara, this is stunning. This is, yeah. just to give you a sense of the scale here. I mean, first, I want to acknowledge me and other naysayers said there was no way he'd raise the money. He did. That there would be another suitor that would give the... Uh, board cloud cover to reject the offer. There wasn't. I mean, uh, Bill Cohen and and you uh, called this perfectly. And every time I mention the words Elon and Musk, I've gotten it wrong here. But just a sense of the scale here. Everybody, I think, rightfully was concerned about Bezos buying an influential media property, the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. He purchased that for two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Uh, million dollars. Elon Musk mm-hmm. is spending a. 180 times more money to buy Twitter. This mm-hmm. is his, effectively, he is financing the deal. There's 13 a billion of debt. 33 billion is really his. Some of it is margin loans against stocks. Some of it's just cash he's putting in. But effectively, this is the largest individual contribution to a leveraged buyout in history. There's just no getting around it. This is stunning. This is a big deal. It is. And it's also a big deal in terms of taking Twitter private, which is something you've talked about. Many people have talked about that it can only operate in private. You had thought other, what were the other players you thought were going to buy it? Uh, I thought Salesforce uh, would use it as a CRM platform and that Mark Benioff's reputation for being a solid citizen, would he be able to thread the needle around moderation? They'd already expressed an interest in it. I didn't think it would be bought though. I thought that somebody would show up with enough shares to force change at what appeared to be a fairly encephalitic board, I would agree with Elon there, and implement greater moderation, go 180 from what he suggested, much greater moderation, much more curated, much more edited, and also, most importantly, move the business model away from advertising to subscription. That's what I thought Mm -hmm. was going to happen. But in terms of the bite size now is so big that there's really only a handful of companies that can take a private and LBO firms can't care because 
the company is not really LBOable in the traditional sense because it doesn't have enough EBITDA to support a lot of debt. As is yeah. see above, yeah. Elon's really coming in with $33 billion of his own money. A loan, a loan. A lot of it's a loan from banks. So we'll get to that in a minute. We'll also get to Jeff Bezos in a minute because he had something to say. But first, former President Donald Trump says he won't go back on Twitter and told Fox News that he instead joined True Social over the next seven days. Um, I don't believe him. And I wrote a column saying Elon will let him back on. Elon protested when Twitter threw him off. Um, So he will certainly let him back on if he wants to be. And I don't think Trump can resist. But what do you think it means for all the other banned accounts like, uh, what is it, Babylon B, a whole bunch of them? that irked Elon for a little. Well, as it relates to Donald Trump, I think Kai Rizdahl summarized it perfectly, and that is, regarding his comments, he's not going back on. They take the under on that one. Yeah, um, under. You know, I, I, would, I think it's, a, it's a, a neck-and-neck horse race between who is more desperate to be in the news, and I think Trump will absolutely go back on the platform. And you've, you've predicted that. The question I think... Yeah, anyway. I think anyway, what, without Elon, without Elon. Regardless, right. The issue that Elon is going to face, every person from the CEO of Reddit to Dick Costello at Twitter to Alex O'Hare, I mean, everyone who has dealt with this says the same thing. These are really difficult problems to deal with. Mm -hmm. And Twitter has spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. I don't think they've gotten it right, but their employees believe they have figured out a way to thread the needle around very, very difficult problems. And I, I would speculate that sooner rather than later, He's going to find out what all of us have encountered or what I've encountered when I go on boards of companies. And that is, I am not as smart as I thought, and they're not as dumb as I'd hoped. I think mm-hmm. he's going to yeah. run up against the same shit they've run up against. And I don't yeah, know. it is. I don't know what yeah. he wants to stay on Twitter that he hasn't been able to say already. I don't, I just Yeah, don't well, here's it. the thing. So he did make a speech, a little bit of a statement about free speech, of course, when he bought it. He wants to make sure he calls it a, you know, a public square, which I don't think it is, but go ahead. Uh, want, you can you can make that argument. It's, it's a reasonable argument. Elon wants to make sure you stay on the platform, Scott. He tweeted, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Uh, you might want to delete some of your DMs unless you want Elon reading them. I'm teasing. I maybe I don't know. Twitter DMs are not encrypted, which means future Elon employee can have access to them. And I'm a little worried about the security, honestly. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know why I didn't worry with the previous administration, but I definitely would think about it. Well, the the let's let's do the ball case here because these are big boys and girls. The shareholders are getting a decent premium to where it was trading just a short while ago. And the investors are grown-ups, uh, so I think that at least for the first six months, I think users, people in the media, investors owe him the benefit of the doubt. And here's the bull case. And the bull case is that a fraction of that brain around product innovation and focused here could unlock tremendous value. I think it's mm-hmm. just naive not to think that that's not a possibility. The yeah. bear case is that you have media, which is becoming increasingly instrumental in a time when we're becoming more polarized, and there just don't appear to be any guardrails. The Washington Post, which everyone is saying, well, what about the Washington Post? They have an editorial board. They have 700 yeah. journalists who have their own free will and can say no to stuff. And Twitter has algorithms and likely not a CEO pretty soon and an individual who has vague ideas about free speech and, quite frankly, has a reputation for punching down. So... You can make a bull or a bear case here. Now, the board didn't get to make the bear case because it's not really up to them to make societal calls. It's them to say, was this the best price for shareholders? And I actually think the board did its job. They didn't play games. They said, look, the majority of the shareholders want to do this. 
it's up to the new owners what they do with the company after they own it. Okay. So so here's the next thing is employees. You're talking about this. Uh, at most uh, companies, Elon, uh, you join people knowing they're working for Elon Musk. He's off, obviously hired some very good CEOs at his other companies. He doesn't, he's not the CEO of, well, he's the CEO of those companies, but he has very strong number twos in various places. Um, a lot of people might join because it's Elon. Uh, existing Twitter employees probably didn't like getting bashed by him. Um, they don't know what's going to happen to their stock. They, you know, there's a lot of issues in a private company where you don't yeah. get compensated the same way. So what about that? Well, first thing is, uh, you know, if I were advising them, which I am not, I would say you need to do a charm tour and you need to go go elevate and publicly praise many of the senior leaders there and junior leaders and acknowledge that I'm here to learn. I'm going to try, you know, I want to make this better. I want to unlock the potential that we all agree is here. I think it becomes in guns blazing. I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, maybe I'll give it 90 days to see if there's some there yeah. there. But I think he has to really err on the side. And he, he's you got to think that at a certain level, he's an outstanding manager. You can Greatness is in the agency of others. And he's achieved so much greatness at his other firms. You got to think he has at least some instinctive uh, instinctual ability to really draw yeah, people it's, around, it's, around you know, there's a lot of people who've left there's a lot of people who've left there he obviously has those issues in some of the plants not his direct fault but certainly he's the ceo um around racial issues but i think th- there's been a lot of churn at some of his companies yeah. at the same time some people love working for him so it's an interesting question he's certainly doing well and producing beautiful products that is one thing i think i'm very i think he'll be very innovative on the products he's a user of the products uh, he owns it now. So he's in a different way than the board that exists. He's a fan of it. And so he will have a lot of uh, I- interest in that. And so that, I think, is a good thing. Now, one thing, New York Times' Emily Flitter pointed out that if Musk failed to repay the loan to Morgan Stanley, the bank could seize and sell Tesla stock as collateral, destabilizing a portion of the stock market, and the public may have little to no advance warning. Um, this is a big This is a big swing by this guy. He saw an opportunity, he took it, but he, boy, is he putting a lot on the line here. Well, here's the thing, and just so I can get attacked even more on Twitter right now. Please, I would like that. There's there's still a non-zero probability this thing doesn't close. One, the SEC, and I, I'm still oh, yeah. holding hope that at some point they decide, well, we can't send a signal that all guidelines are no longer in effect. I, they could pop up here. He has pissed off so many powerful people, Kara. He's pissed off senators who meet on a regular basis with the SEC. But the most likely thing that... that that contaminates or stops the plane from landing here is imagine if Tesla in the next 60 or 90 days or before the close, the stock gets cut in half and everyone says, well, that won't happen. Well, guess what? It's happened to Netflix in the last 60 days. If that happens, he's probably not going to want to show up with this much money leveraged against stock that's worth half as much. So this is what they're probably negotiating right now or they've negotiated is a fairly large breakup fee because for Tesla to go down 50%, is not a lot in the eyes of the market, but it will be mm-hmm. increasingly large in the eyes of Elon Musk, who has just borrowed $33 billion or has, I mean, right. he is levering up here. This is a bold yeah. move. It is. He did see an opportunity. Like, this was an opportunity, whether you, it's an expensive opportunity for him, but it certainly is a company that most people think should be better than it is as a business. Um, He has talked about subscriptions. Uh, he has talked about all other ways of making money. I'm sure advertisers are not going to like a cesspool. So, and he's talked about not relying on advertisers because then you get to be pushed around by them, whatever they happen to be angry about at any one time. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see 
how he behaves with the employees and how he, I, I, he, I, some parts of me thinks he can't help but gloat, but he's been rather controlled, sort of, except for the Bill Gates thing he did yesterday, which was to publish this picture of um, Bill Gates and a pregnant emoji guy mm-hmm. and make fun of his gut and use the word boner and et cetera. That was just ridiculous. He said he was mad because Bill Gates allegedly shorted Tesla. And if he was for climate thing, he wouldn't have done that. I, you know, honestly, these people are so rich, they probably don't even know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, but just, the okay, time. listen to what you just said. And then in the yeah. next sentence, an individual now controls yeah. solely, with really no, no guardrails whatsoever, one of the most mm-hmm. influential media companies in the world. I just, yeah. it's uncomfortable to think about these two people being the same person as much as the Beavis and Bet- Butthead Animal House, you know, cohort thinks this is funny. This company has a lot of influence. And when you're yeah. mocking people's physical appearance, when you're calling, I, I, I just, this is not, are these the values you want to bring to Twitter right now? So well, uh, we'll see. Or, or does it have influence, Scott? I don't know. Look at TikTok is running this, the, the laps around this company. Agreed. So is Facebook and Instagram. This company has not been innovative. So I don't quite, I think it's in important to us. It's important to us, people like us. You know? Yeah, punching down is not innovation. That doesn't reflect anything innovative. I agree. But I think, look, people's behavior, I think you're going to see more and more, you know, these very wealthy people like Peter Thiel, like Elon Musk, stepping out and being the men they are, whatever they happen to be. And they want it. They want to be the center of attention. And in Elon's case, he doesn't care if he's the Tony Stark villain, villain hero, or he doesn't care that he's uh, brought, brings a lot of attention on himself. He loves it. Um, you're going to see this more and more with CEOs. I don't think it's going to be less but again, and less. again, Kara, that's the uncomfortable thing about our about what is going on here. And that is we have two billionaires that started an incredible company, PayPal. We have two billionaires that are remarkably innovative and just impossible not to admire. We have two innovators, Elon Musk and Peter Thiel, who have huge fanboy followings and serve as role models, whether they want to or not for tens of millions of young people around the world. And we have two billionaires, one who spent $45 billion under the auspices of free speech and no moderation. And we have another billionaire who invented a law firm to put another media company out of business because he didn't like their free speech when they outed him. So which is it, guys? The question isn't whether about free speech or moderation. The question is, should billionaires be be implementing their ayahuasca visions of no moderation and or closing entire media firms down. That's where we are right now. Yeah, I know, because they do, they do, they're very, they're almost like Kevin McCarthy, if you, not a, quite as bad as Kevin McCarthy. They say one thing and do another in many cases. But let me just tell you, speaking of billionaires beefing, um, Jeff Bezos weighed in, which I was so surprised by, because he usually keeps his mouth shut. Um, interesting question, he tweeted. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? He's using Elon's phrase. And then he was tweeting, uh, apropos of something, Tesla's second biggest market in 2021 was China after the U.S. Chinese battery makers are major suppliers to Tesla's EVs after 2009 when China banned Twitter. The government there almost had no leverage over the platform. And that may have just changed. Uh, wow, that was something. That's a gauntlet. I said gauntlet thrown, the last, last duel. I mean, this is... He's alleging he's a Chinese asset, I think, in some fashion, in some... It doesn't get more violent amongst white guys uh, that are tech billionaires than that. Basically, yeah, Bezos, Bezos, who is hugely respected, this is the, Bezos sits on top of the most trusted organization in the world, just behind the military, the U.S. military. 
He never well, weighs in on this. Has shit, some shit. issues, but go ahead. Yeah, but yeah. publicly, yeah. he tries. He yep. tries. He yep. demonstrates a lot more discipline than the other side of this coin here. Yep. And he's basically yeah, saying, sure. if you let this guy go through, he's a Chinese asset. I mean, that's what he's saying. I mean, that is that's what I'm reading. It doesn't. It doesn't get any meaner in the Augusta Country Club yeah. locker room, Kara. That is yeah. <laughs> that is snapping your towel at someone's that big yeah. Ed and the twins and then saying oh and yeah. then saying your your wife, your fourth wife is ugly and you don't make any money. It does not get any yeah. meaner around the you know, over the cob salad. I was gobsmacked when I read this because Bezos never does this. And you know, I think he was probably mad over the penis jokes that Elon tells about his rocket. And this is just it's okay. literally Kara, it's insane. Ron, it's insane. Senator Ron Wyden, Senator yeah. Elizabeth Warren, guess what? They yeah. they have very tight contacts with the people at Fisius that try to assess or I forget the name of the agency, the yeah. international security risks here. They are very yeah, yeah. close with the commissioners at the SEC. You yeah. you know, at the end of the day, uh, just good business advice, you want to err mm. on the side of taking some shit, showing some grace, and not pissing people off. You know what most CEOs have in common? Is they've what? been really good at not pissing people off. They may not even yeah. be the most talented person in the company, but they haven't made yeah. any enemies. And that is not how Elon well, got there. And maybe he's the new century, new millennial CEO. This guy mm-hmm. has a, this guy has, a, the, the worst thing about it is his enemies are not earned. He's made enemies really stupidly. It well, hasn't been worth I, well, it. Well, though, you know, you could say Bezos is competing with him in space and also for Defense Department contracts. No, Bezos, but is, this, Bezos is a worthy enemy. I'm talking about why does he turn Bill Gates into an enemy? You think Bill Gates really yeah. appreciated that? No. That was interesting. And then, of course, he has a beef with Mark Zuckerberg, too. He has a beef with a lot of people. I've had beefs with him, and I, I mean, they go away. But it's a really interesting situation. That What's squaring up here is really interesting, these fights. What about, I think, a lot of users that go, I'm leaving now, or no, something like the people not. who moved to Canada when Trump left. No, I think their not. issues are business issues, away from all this noise. And there are political issues. There are regulatory issues coming up. But they he's got to get this business going, or he's screwed. He is really put himself out there in a way that you got to, half of you has to say, whoa, what a thing to do. What an interesting thing. And at the same time, be like, oh man, you're really out on that limb, sir. Uh, that's a limb you're out on kind of thing. Yeah. But again, shareholders, when you look at businesses, we oftentimes don't really understand what the real lever or what is really going to change yeah. the atmospherics here. And what people don't realize is the thing that will have the most impact over this company likely in the next 90 to 180 days is the share price mm-hmm. of Tesla. If Tesla holds or continues to go up and defy gravity, everyone's going to say, you know, Elon, you be Elon, not that we have any choice. If this stock resumes, it does anything similar to any other company in this grothy, frothy part and gets cut by 20, 30 or 50 percent, as strong as he are, as strong as he is, as much people love him, people are going to start second guessing the shit out of him. He's going to get stressed out and his bankers are just going to go heads up. If it goes down another 50%, we need you to start selling Tesla stock, which will send it down another 70%. So you want to watch what's going to happen to Twitter? Tell me what's going to happen to Tesla stock over the next 90 or 180 days. It'll be interesting to see. By the way, Jack Dorsey's going to make a, if this goes through, he's going to make a billion dollars. There's a lot of rumors that he's in on it, right? That he's the investor. Well, they like each other, right? They do, indeed. And Jack's mad at the board. 
And Jack's mad at the board. He, he was leaving the board. Maybe he's staying with Elon. I don't no, know. I mean, no. that would be important. If he brought Jack back, bringing Jack back is always a good move necessarily for, for morale. I think people really do like Jack, including Parag, uh, in order to keep what people there. What happens to Parag, we'll, we'll Kara? See. Have you heard anything there? Well, you know, Jack and he were, he was Jack's choice. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect he probably is okay with Elon. I don't know. He's going to make $40, billion, $40 million here. Uh, maybe he's exit stage right and says, I'm going somewhere else. Like, hmm. you know, this is going to be it for recruiters. Could be good for some some of the people at Twitter. I actually think um, Elon we'll would see. be smart to keep him, at least in the short term. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I would I would stay. I just want to see. What happens? See how it plays out? Yeah. Oh, I'd so but, stay. But just back to your notion around users, let me be clear. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone, I, I think other than like the, you know, the, the junior, you know, the associate editor of Mother Jones trying to make a point with, with 700 followers. <laughs> People aren't going to leave yeah. the platform. It's addictive. It, it's it, for those of us who are on it a lot. We get a lot of joy and a lot of value from it. But we're not. Gonna, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's. But pure, it's still not growing. Signal. It's still not growing. It's still not growing that in the way that it needed to. The Agreed. way TikTok is. The way in others. But are. you are so we'll growing. See. Your growth is enormous. You texted me over the weekend. You were worried about me. You are growing. I was. I am not growing, but this is fun for us. Thank you, Elon, for all the content. And Bezos, we love you. We love you, buddy. Thanks for Titter, tweeting that. Titter. Finally, Titter. I can be me, Kara. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Um, in any case, it is going to be some melee is what I think. But thank you for Scott calling in from your car. Thank you. Um, we, we, our, our fans wanted us to comment right away. And so we, this team, by the way, you thank the Pivot team for scrambling to get this done. More to come for sure as the days go by. Blue check tomorrow. Blue check on all. Blue check, baby. Yeah, you know it. We're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, President Obama, we're going to do this very quick, pitches some fixes for big tech. We'll speak with friend of Pivot, Kim Kelly, about Amazon's unions, people who deserve more money, which are the average worker at many of these companies. Scott, we're back. Elon's not the only person thinking about free speech and social media. President Obama spoke of the dangers of that unregulated platform's post for society in a speech at Stanford. Here's what he said about fixing the supply and demand of misinformation. Go ahead. On the supply side, tech platforms need to accept that they play a unique role in how we as a people and, and people around the world are consuming information and that their decisions have an impact on every aspect of society. With that power comes accountability. And in democracies like ours, at least, the need for some democratic oversight. As citizens, we have to take it upon ourselves to become better consumers of news, looking at sources, thinking before we share, and teaching our kids to become critical thinkers who know how to evaluate sources and separate opinion from fact. So what do you think, Scott? I'm sorry. This is, well, I, you know, I had lunch with him talk to talk about this before this speech. And, um, you know, he's just catching up. Just, it feels like he's just catching up to stuff that's, and almost a lot of stuff that's moved on. I don't know how you feel about this speech. Uh, I just like the fact that he's getting back in the ring. I guess, um, yeah. And I do think that it's a big, important topic. He is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's sort of, I almost feel like, I hope he has the same impact as Francis Haugen. Francis Haugen kind of came in yes. and said what we sort of all knew, but she put on a masterclass on how to package it and give it real visibility and real heft. Mm-hmm. And I hope he can do the same thing around misinformation. But anyone who's been following this stuff, he's basically just regurgitating shit that's been out there for a while. Yes, 
That's what I would say. Actually, interesting. I'm not, it was an off the record thing, but I can say what I said um, when he said, "What should we do?" You know, he was looking for solutions, which was a great. He's so smart and so, yeah. um, you know, he's got a really sophisticated idea about this. I thought he was pretty cozy with tech people back when I criticized mm-hmm. him before on this um, when he was in office. And I said, "You know what? I think we need a time machine and we need to go back and you should do something when you were president." And so I don't think he appreciated that particular suggestion. But that's you being casually insulting. Casually insulting. <laughs> That's right. But come on. I mean, one of the things is Trump was also very critical of these companies and we made fun of him, right? So, but he had a very different reason. Um, uh, But, you know, I think these politicians are way behind and they just need to do legislation. Like stop with the, with the, with the big speeches. I, I I really have a lot of respect for President Obama, um, but I think the speeches uh, and, and we should fend for ourselves is, you know, it's sort of like, try not to smoke cigarettes, kids, even though they're addictive. We'll do nothing mm-hmm. about it. Try not to, try not to eat those Twinkies or, although I don't think that should be legislated, but um, I think it's it just do some privacy legislation. Come on, get on that side, get, get pushing on that stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's here, but I would like to see some significant muscle behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, on the other side, the right-wing half-wit Ben Shapiro, did I say that out loud, um, gave us the clearest description yet of the right's new approach to business, speaking of free speech, which businesses have under Citizens United. Here's what he said last week. I am the most free market person on the right. I'm, a, I'm an extraordinarily pro-free market person. I don't believe that generally the government should crack down on the operations of businesses. However, if you decide to just become a woke corporation that does the bidding of your democratic taskmasters, don't be surprised when you get clocked with a legislative two by four. F around and find out. F around, and, and that's what Disney did. Oh my God. I mean, this is just, okay, the villages, which is this retirement community, which is very conservative. Should they have a special tax status too? Should we wait till there's a Democratic governor and revoke their tax status? It's ridiculous. Chick-fil-A has very conservative values in terms of their membership. So does Hobby Lobby. So does In-N-Out has Psalms on their goddamn trays. And guess Mm -hmm. what? I still eat there because I recognize that business and the capitalist engine it should march on. And to start going after, to start, I mean, we're literally just politicizing everything. And what this DeSantis and all these guys are saying is, I don't care about the long-term health mm-hmm. of the citizenry I've been charged with protecting. I'm just going to try and make headlines and throw mm-hmm. red meat at my whack job far left or far right voice. It's just, again, yeah. we, no, nobody's thinking long-term. The incentives here are, have clearly been so perverted uh, that everyone is politicizing everything. And now they're going, and not only that, we brought it on ourselves a little bit. I think when corporations and CEOs started saying this, bring your full self to work, and now Exxon is having to decide what what flags they fly or don't yeah. fly. You know what? You'd be, you'd be, I, I do think there's something to the notion of what you do outside of work is your business. We are here to provide you with economic security for you and your family. I and don't know. I, don't know. I would be IBM, really careful. IBM was taking, critical to gay rights issues and and racial issues way back. I in see the day. that as civil rights. I think that okay. is a law. All right. Okay. I just All right. that's not. I don't think of that as even taking a political stand. That's All right. Some that's equal think. rights. That's civil rights. Not everybody agrees, as you know, as because there's the attacks on trans people right now going on, and they're 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 seeping over into the into gay issues. Um, you know, but, it's interesting. But, but let me just finish on that because I'll get attacked for that. Right. If you're if if you really mean it, and it's part of mm-hmm. your culture, 
uh, okay, fine. I think so much of this was just virtue signaling. I think so much of this was putting out black squares on Instagram saying Black Lives Matter when they don't have a black person on their board. Mm -hmm. They've invited, they have stuck out their chin, these corporations, Mm -hmm. by uh, wading into waters they weren't really committed to swimming in. Well, they have to be committed to it, right? That's the thing. That's the issue is if they are committed, they should do it like Patagonia, doubles the freak down, and that's who they are. Ben and Jerry's, that's that's what they do. You know what you're getting into when you go to work for Patagonia. Or or Chick-fil-A or anybody else. Sorry, this is what they are. But let me just say, these these, uh, these, uh, Republicans attacking business like this is ridiculous is so ridiculous and so counterproductive in so many ways. And DeSantis doing these bills, obviously now they're going to have to pay for Disney. Disney was paying for itself, and now they're going to have to pay for them, which is ridiculous. I do think you're going to see companies like companies like Citigroup and Yelp have policies in place to pay for out-of-state travel for employees who need abortions. Um, corporations do play an important mm-hmm. role and do should have fair. a say yeah. Yeah. in things. Um and so, and they're going to get caught in this anyway. But what it, what is really offensive is this idea of, you know, when I was listening to that Ben Shapiro thing, I was like, what are you, like, I called him Putin light. I'm like, really? Like, really? Like, there's one thing to, to, to boycott or I don't want to use it. Like, we left Florida for our thing. It's mm-hmm. another thing to pass legislation based on political speech. It just, it's like, this is Bullshit. This is like ultimate. I can't believe I'm defending companies, but honestly, uh, th- th- if they're for free speech, you know, Florida district banned dozens of books from its library. They actually do things. The left screams a lot, but the right really does things. They they uh, included a picture book for kids, which my, which Clara loves, called Everywhere Babies, which could not be a more innocuous book. It's insane. There's one gay couple in it. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even like you know, it's hardly noticeable. I mean, these people do not like free speech if this is what they decide. Now, look, Ben Shapiro is making a children's part of his empire. Good. He should. He should sell it. If you want to buy that, buy it. Like, good for you. Like, I, that's, I'm glad that they're doing that. And I will do, not buy it for my children, but, you know, other people can. And so that's really where you're at. It's, um, you know, it, it's, they just don't want to compete. I feel like they feel like communists to me at this point, the Republican Party. I'm like, you know, or something else um, that it, it just it used to pride itself as being business friendly, almost too business friendly. And they've been to this attack the gays fair before and they lost badly. Um, so, you know, the other guy, Chris Rufo, who's been uh, was the was did the critical race theory, was warning Disney I'm going to warn you. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. Anita Bryant sounds good. Like, you know, good luck. Good luck. At some point you're going to over you're going to overreach and that's where we're going, I think. I agree with you. I think whenever you hear a Republican or especially a Republican podcaster say I'm I'm free markets, they're about to say something that's ridiculously non-free markets. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I'm a capitalist. The engine of economic growth and the full body contact and violence of competition, Mm -hmm. you need those fires to burn. I didn't like the bailouts or a big component of the bailouts because I think they were nothing but cloud cover to keep rich people rich. You need churn. Mm -hmm. And I don't like it when Democrats do it, and I don't like it when Republicans do it. And when Republicans do it, it's really, really cynical. And it's because they've always claimed to be the pro-business part of the party. So I Mm -hmm. find all of this— it's, it really comes back to incentives. And unfortunately, our elections now, because of hardening through gerrymandering and not ranked choice voting, but basically in primaries where it's basically who can out crazy the other person. Yeah. And, and now everyone's just focused on all of our senior politicians, all senior politicians in Florida right now, 
Rubio, Rick Scott, and DeSantis are all just literally staring at a 60-plus white evangelical voter and trying to get his capture his gaze. And they're not governing Florida. They don't care about Disney and taxes and floor, the health of Florida. He's like, how can I convince this guy with a straw in Iowa that I am fucking batshit crazy? Yeah. And, I mean, did you know what Rick Scott proposed? That you we're going to yeah. do yeah. away with all federal legislation so we shut down all vets hospitals. Uh, the guys in the space station can't communicate with us. Yeah, they were unprepared us. for that. They were unprepared for that. And they're like, okay. And they said, but if it's good, we can reinstitute it. I'm like, are you— have you are you that far off the deep end where you yeah. would actually take a staff of 120 people and all this money that it cost to run the Senate a senator's office and propose legislation that we're going to just shut off the federal government and well, basically there'll be no air traffic control the next day. You know who's winning here? Steve Bannon. This is his playbook. Is that right? Shut the, chaos. Yeah, chaos. Chaos. <sighs> and eventually you start to wonder like you know who what country are you rooting for at this point? You know yeah. what I mean? Which is, um, I don't know. It's really, it's this is, if you look at those things, the idea of, it's also Peter Thiel has those elements. Let's get rid of it all. Like if you read his stuff, um, it's down that avenue. And so no government is- Yeah, but let's know, or, get rid of it all after yeah. I have built wealth- That is based correct. Based on- That is correct. Based on subsidies of EV charging stations. Yes, Or yes. I have hired thousands of engineers. Or I work for the defense department or I do it's this. takerist. It's totally yeah, a takerist, takerist culture. Takerist. All right. Well, that is a perfect thing to bring on our friend of Pivot. Kim Kelly is a labor journalist, organizer, and author of Fight Like Hell, The Untold Story of American Labor. She joins us to discuss the history and current state of the unionization movement in America and what's next for workers and management. Welcome, Kim Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. So there's a lot we talk about this a lot, and Scott has a has a has a very tough perspective on unions. Obviously, there's a lot of activity going on, and Amazon Distribution Center is voting on unionization as we record this. Bernie Sanders and AOC both spoke at a rally there over the weekend. That's across the street from another Staten Island warehouse where Amazon workers voted to unionize earlier this month. They still have to create a contract and do the very heavy lifting part. Starbucks workers have voted to unionize across the country, including in Seattle this week, and an Apple Store employees in Georgia have filed for a union election. Apple employees at Grand Central Store in New York City seem to be headed that way too. So give us an overview because we, Scott and I also have felt that the union, uh, these are victories, but it's still hard going. So give us an overview from your perspective. Sure. I think it's such an exciting moment in American labor. And I think it's especially exciting for people because as, as I'm sure you know, as you alluded to, uh, we've kind of been on the back foot for a little while. You know, union density is down. The numbers aren't great. Uh, we're just coming out of an incredibly anti-labor administration. Like workers have not been having the best time, especially as the pandemic continues, as you know, the minimum wage continues to be garbage. Like it's it's a difficult time to be a worker in America, right? And I think that what we're seeing, this renewed energy, this renewed interest in organizing, that's a very positive thing. It's a positive sign of where people's heads are at. I think workers are starting to really understand the value of their labor and the value of their lives, right? Because as this pandemic has gone on, we know who's been hit the hardest, who's been hurt the worst, you know, the most vulnerable, the most marginalized. I think black and brown communities were hit twice as hard as their white counterparts. Like, I think there's been kind of a reimagining 
of what work is and what it should be and what it could be too. And we're seeing these workers at these massive kind of all-encompassing corporations like Amazon at Starbucks, Apple now, realizing that, you know, we work for the richest people in the world. We are struggling. We are being treated like machines or robots or like we don't matter at all. There's got to be something we can do. And there is organizing, unionizing. And the fact that they've been so successful at Amazon the one spot, and it still doesn't have a contract. Like, I'm just, when it, let me just interject. And then Scott, I'm sure has some questions. Labor unions are generating more headlines, that's for sure. Uh, and I'm not pushing back on the need for it, because I do think there's an, a massive need for it. But it doesn't mean there's more actual support. Unionization rates, as you know, went down between 2020 and 21, in the midst of the pandemic. Just 10% of workers are union uh, members, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But a majority of Americans say labor unions have a positive effect on the country, even though you're back on your foot. And I think that's being kind in terms of its power because these companies really do have the power right now. Sure. Yeah. Like you said, the numbers aren't great. And we are coming, we are at a point where uh, the labor laws are not in our favor. We're dealing with a plague of right to work. We're dealing with an NLRB that has been much more interesting and much more uh, aggressive than it has been in recent years. It still needs more staff. It still needs more resources. It needs more legal bite. But I think things are changing. I mean, the fact that public support is at, I think, what, 68% is pro-union, that's a big deal. And really, the thing is that most workers, I would say, in this country would like to join a union. It's just very hard for them to do so. And that's not their fault. That's due to the laws and the, the government politicians and, you know, all of this historic uh, red tape that's been thrown up and makes it more difficult to organize. And honestly, I think that is one of the reasons why the Amazon victory, first victory, matters so much is because these workers kind of had every odd stacked against them, but they still pulled it off themselves. They didn't rely on existing infrastructure or resources from other established unions. Right, which was interesting. I, I was talking with an Amazon, I was talking with an Amazon board member and they're like, they did it with weed and pizza. They were fascinated by it. And yeah. so what you saying, Scott, go ahead. Uh, so nice to meet you. Uh, so I, I, I need a preamble here before I, I bust into my questions. I've been a member of two different unions. I was a member of a union when I was a box boy in college at San Vicente Foods. As when I started at NYU as an adjunct professor, I was a member of the AFL-CIO. I'm not entirely sure how we ended up in that union. But anyways, I think unions are right. And I think a lot of Americans are in favor of unions. But the numbers are not less than great. The numbers have been abysmal. I mean, we've gone from 20% union membership in 1985 to 10. We lost a quarter of a million union members in 2021. And granted, they do the right things. But haven't unions been sort of the perfect enemy for corporations and right to work? And that is they give the illusion they're helping. And it just feels like this construct of a traditional union is right but not effective, that it's not doing its job. And I'm one, I, I worry that these small victories are nothing but continued head fakes, that we need a different construct than unions to protect the American worker. I apologize for the speech. Uh, I'd love to get your response to that. I don't know how many union workers would agree with you, though, that it doesn't matter, that it's just headlines and whatnot. Like, if you've ever bargained a union contract or seen what that difference feels like between going from pre-union to post-union, like, that's a big deal. Uh, and also, AFL-CIO is a union, it's a federation. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. What's the difference? I'm not trying to know oh, the, the difference. Oh, the AFL-CIO is uh, a federation of different labor unions around the country. Right. Thank <laughs> you. Kind of like an umbrella thing. Uh, Got it. <laughs> hey, I pay my dues. 
I pay my dues. Good. That's what that we need those dues dues to hire organizers and to give resources to workers trying to organize. Um, And I think we can't really discount the impact of right to work too, especially on in states where there isn't a strong uh, pro labor legislator and there aren't, there's a great tradition a great tradition of people being able to organize like the folks in Alabama that tried to organize their warehouse. They got crushed the first time around and, you know, they didn't have that much outside help. They were trying really hard to do this. Amazon crushed them. Amazon was found to have union busted them in a way that wasn't really legal. That's why they got their second election. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear like kind of not anti-union, but sort of union skeptical things like this, because that's not what I'm hearing from within the movement. That's not what I'm hearing from workers. And honestly, I think maybe that matters more, you know, like people we can we can we can opine, we can analyze, we can think and and talk about what's happening. But what's happening on the shop floor? What's happening in the warehouses? So talk about that, because your book is subtitled The Untold Story of American Labor. What did we what do we forget about the labor movement? What lessons should current organizers take as they're moving forward? Like what what works? Uh, Because it looks like it's different everywhere. Is there some thing that you think will re-energize it besides the skeptical part we get that we get that but it it you know amazon is super aggressive starbucks is i'm guessing going to be super aggressive um apple i suspect will be very aggressive the same way and and offer workers oh we're going to give you this much money we're going to give you you don't need those people to do that what is the construct in order to push back at those efforts that they're going to make which is going to be a sort of velvet you know iron fist in a velvet glove approach is my guess. Sure. What really matters, what has led to the victories and the the half victories and all the positive change that we have seen because of the labor movement, because of workers, it's solidarity. I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, but honestly, building real relationships and community between workers, crossing barriers, crossing over whatever manufactured divide the boss puts between one another because of you know whatever differences there are between you and your coworker. Like, that is how we win. That's how we've always won. That's how they they won at Amazon. They had people who spoke different languages and prepared different kinds of food and met people on a human level, person-to-person, worker-to-worker. That's how, I mean, there's an example I can think of from 1946, back in the day, in, uh, in Hawaii, the Great Sugar Strike. When there were, it was a situation where there was these massive sugarcane plantations. The workers were predominantly Asian immigrants and Native Hawaiians. The owners were white guys from the mainland. And when it came time to strike, the workers were in a position where they were separated. There were different camps for different workers. Chinese folks were here. Filipino folks were here. The bosses treated them differently, paid them differently, tried to make them feel as if they had nothing in common. And the right. way they won was by coming together and getting translators and, and building strike kitchens and realizing they had more in common than they did than they had that separated them. It's really, it might even sound a little Pollyanna, right? But crossing over through these divides and realizing that, honestly, it is us against them, the working class against capital. That is an important lesson to learn, and that is how we have gotten anywhere, by sticking together, by building collective power, by really sticking to the real principle of solidarity. That's how we're going to win. That's the simplest answer. Like, that's how we do it. How have, how have say, these tech companies tried to put differences between people. I'm assuming the giving bigger salaries than say a restaurant or or something else. Talk about what they've done that's been effective and maybe something that looks like it's effective but isn't really for the workers. Well, just to come back to Amazon, one of their 
<laughs> most fatal flaws that they made was trying straight out the gate to paint Christian Smalls, the president of the independent Amazon labor yeah. union. And they, you know, they tried to paint him as inarticulate, as un- uneducated. Yes. They were being a bunch of racist, classist jerks about it. And wonder of wonders, that did not resonate with the working class black mm-hmm. and brown membership of that union, the workforce at that factory. Like, this is, they, they've tried to find a scapegoat and they birthed a leader. You know, this is the kind of thing that companies do because they don't understand what it's like to do those jobs. They don't understand what it's like to be struggling in that way. They haven't had to break a sweat in 20 years, probably, you know, and what they, one of the things that they would do uh, at the Bessemer warehouse that did unfortunately prove effective because folks maybe didn't have as much of a firm understanding and base in the union tradition because it's so hard to unionize there. They, they third partied the union. They, they put out all these flyers as propaganda saying, Oh, this is a New York city union coming down here to Bama to try and, you know, take your money and tell you what to do. And in some ways that worked and it was really unfortunate, but it was also BS we'll say. And we can see how the, those kinds of divide and conquer tactics Sometimes they work, but if you inoculate against them, if you have something to show for it, if it's easier to shut that down, then, like, it doesn't, it's not as effective. You know, before Scott gets the next question, I, when he, they did that to Kristen Smalls, I know a lot of, I was like, stop it. He's fantastic. I had spent some time talking to him, and I was like, this is a huge mistake. He is not, he is so effective. And we had had him on Twitter Spaces a bunch of time. I talked to him a bit. And it was really amazing how stupid that was. I remember saying, this is the stupidest thing. Like, do not discount this for guy. He's really sharp as a tack. Like, literally, how would you not want a leader like that who comes from the community, who's, like, handsome, who's cool, who, like, doesn't wear a suit? Like, that's the kind of labor movement I would be a part of. I don't care what guys in suits have to say, and a lot of people don't either. He also was nobody's friend. Like, you know, he pushed back against... AOC and others too. He wasn't, that was what I thought was super effective about him. He was, he was, he was going for the worker. I thought that was a very interesting, he's a very interesting uh, leader. Uh, Scott, go ahead. So uh, last administration, very anti-labor. We'd like to think this administration is very pro-labor. What would you ask for from the Biden administration that they aren't doing? Or what are you hoping to get out of the next two and a half years from the Biden administration or hopefully six and a half years? Assuming they do anything, um, I need, they need to pour resources into the NLRB, beef it up, make it tough. And this is the National able. Labor Relations Board. Oh, yeah, Board National Labor Relations Board. Uh, they need staff. They need money. They need support. They need to be able to enforce these contracts and to be there for workers that reach out to them and file elections. I mean, there's like 200 Starbucks across the country that have filed elections and are going through elections. Like that is a lot of staff and a lot of lifts. And they need mm-hmm. to, I mean, obviously raise the minimum wage, raise, like, give people health care, actually do something about the climate. It's all like, if you want to be for the workers, do things that help workers instead of, like, make nice headlines or make the Republicans hate you a little bit less. You sound, dis- you sound disappointed in the administration's efforts to date. Is that accurate? Am I reading that ac- accurately? The, I would say the one good thing that the administration, well, I don't know that much about it. I don't really care what the Democrats get up to, right? But one of the most positive things I've seen from this administration is the pro-labor stance and some of the pro-labor moves. And mm-hmm. the appointment of Jennifer Abruzzo as general counsel to NLRB, that is a big deal. That is great. If they can just keep doing that kind of thing, that will help. That will get us to closer where we need to be. They just have to mm-hmm. put their money where their mouth is and also go after these tech oligarchs that are trying to grind us all into dust. 
I love that. So talk about the minimum wage. So Scott has a thing where he talks about the ridiculousness of the minimum wage going from 725 to 725. Well, these oligarchs make a lot of money, like which is um uh, really astonishing. Talk about what needs to be done there. It seems like that's that would be the most important thing government can do. Tax all the rich people that are oppressing us. Take their money and give it to the people that made it. These people that sit in C-suites and, and issue press releases and play fussy with the government, they're not working. They are exploiting. They are benefiting from the labor of the working class. $7.25 is a joke. $15 an hour is nothing. Like, even I'm, I'm not an economic expert, but, like, things cost more. And Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are fine, whereas workers in the picket line are struggling to pay their bills or buy food at the grocery store. That is not fair. Like, the minimum wage should be at least $25 or $30 an hour. People can't live like this. And after a certain point, the people at the top that expect to benefit from us and our work and our labor, they're going to find out that, you know, you can only push people so far before mm -hmm. they either do something about it or they dip out entirely, you know? Yeah. Scott? So first off, word. I, I agree with you at some point, a comity of man being American means dignity and work. And inflation has up 30%. The Nasdaq's quintupled. CEO pay is up 7x. And minimum wages exploded from 725 to 725. I worry that when we turn it into what feels like a class argument, I mean, you said tax the people who are exploiting us. I worry that we lose allies and that we should make more of a capitalist argument that we need to bring people back into the labor allies this is, this is class war well if we position it that way i think we lose uh, because i'm on i'm on your side but i'm trying to figure out how we position it as a capitalist argument that we need more people to be drawn back into the labor force that when we don't pay people a living wage they end up in the emergency room they end up with mental health problems they end up in a vet hospital that this is just smart economically that rather than going after the morality of it, that we go after the economics. Look, I would say, like, just to, to build on what you're saying, yep. a union worker is a happier and better paid and healthier worker, right? That's the worker yeah, you want in your workforce, agreed. in your factory, in your shop. Like, it is, it makes good business sense to make sure that workers are healthy and mentally prepared to do their labor. They're not stressed. They're not falling apart. Right. They're not worried about making it home to pick up their child. Like, it's tormenting and exploiting workers doesn't help anybody, no. you know? Like, we should have learned that back in the Gilded Age, but here we are in, in the sequel. Yeah. Yeah, the sequel. It's interesting. I know you've got to go. One of the things I always tell a lot of these people, you've either got to figure this out and soon, um, with cooperative working with workers and paying them what they deserve, or you might as well armor plate your Tesla, because that's where it's going. Like, There's a lot more of us than there are of them. All right, we'll leave it on that. This is a book by uh, Kim Kelly. Uh, her book is called Fight Like Hell. It sounds like she's going to. The Untold Story of American Labor. There it is. Thank you for putting it up. Um, you can find uh, Kim Kelly on Twitter at Grim Kim. Is that right? Grim Kim. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. All right. Thank you, Kim Kelly. And thank you so much. Uh, everybody should read this. A very important topic. And it is absolutely true. We have to figure something out here because it's not going to stay the same at all. And these workers deserve uh, much more attention in the whole, in the entire uh, stack that happens here, uh, rather than just celebrate the, the tech oligarchs. And I think that's a perfect name for them. All right, Kim, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Nice to meet you. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions.
Okay, Scott, let's hear some predictions. Go for it. What do you got for me? Besides, you're not going to be on CNN Plus for the future. I'm definitely off. I'm two Scaramucci's and one quarter of of Quibi. By the way, I want to apologize to everyone at Quibi. I was like dancing on their grave before yeah. it was over, and now I'm getting yeah. attacked rightfully for for saying yeah. that. Yeah. Look, I think what you're what you're seeing in the growthy part of the market. I mean, everything from PayPal to you know, you talked about it to Netflix is uh, or all the stuffs off seventy percent. Mm-hmm. The streaming market, uh, the content market is about to get taken to the woodshed. It's just going to mm-hmm. be so fucking ugly. There's going to be mm-hmm. so many layoffs because all of a sudden everyone's figured out spending $3,000 per household to deliver these. Mm-hmm. It, there has never been a better time to have a couch and be into edibles and the party's over. Mm-hmm. You're about to see uh, enormous consolidation and radical cost cutting at the biggest and strongest. I mean, it'll be everyone, maybe with the exception of Apple TV Plus and Amazon Prime Video, because they have just literally infinitely deep pockets. Which might take advantage of the situation. Yeah, who knows? They might come in. But Mm -hmm. And also, I think uh, Discovery stock with a $55 billion overhang, gosh, I think that's going to be an interesting stock to watch. Um, And my prediction is uh, comes back to the same place. What about Netflix as a possibly being bought? Boy, would Apple love to pick that up or Amazon. Well, I think I think Google and Facebook would have liked Twitter, but the problem is mm-hmm. the logical buyer of Netflix probably can't because of antitrust. Yeah. But I mean, I think what you're going to have here, so, and I've said this before and I'll double down on it, the current structure of discovery is not, does not survive this. 24 months. There's right. just so many great assets, so much great. debt, a weird shareholder base. And a single class of shares, meaning you can get an activist, and you've got a CEO who's gone Hollywood and has moved to LA. This is this, Bill Cohen's column today. It's, it's is that right? I haven't read it. Yeah, no, I know. It's like he has that. He has different thoughts, but he he thinks they have a real rough road ahead of them. I would say. Yeah, and I think they're gonna they're gonna have to find ways to monetize some of these assets, and that the disposition of some of these assets will be accretive, and similar to what happened to Stanky, where Stanky woke up and had too much debt and mm-hmm. assets that aren't performing to the expectations of when they bought them. I think Discovery is going to wake up and realize that these assets that the that the whole here is less than the sum of its parts. There's some amazing assets within this corporate structure. There is. Yep, and. Uh, anyways, I, I my prediction is discovery. Enjoy it while you, you're the dog that caught the mm-hmm. car. And guess yeah. what? Uh, that car's not slowing down, and it's going to get away with you. They're going to have to make some moves Big other change. than cost cutting here. And I think but, you're going to see an activist come in when the stock hits. Interesting. When the All stock right, but hits, let me just let me her, make a picture myself. Yes, you don't have ahead. Scott Galloway to kick around anymore. Sam. That's right. And let that, me just let me tell people something. I'm going to make a statement. That show was terrific, and you know I insult you when that. they suck. I didn't like your other shows. Thank you for saying that. Okay. This means was a, lot a really me. well done show. I didn't like every bit of it. Did I give you like pretty good criticism of the parts I didn't like, just yeah. like I did with John Stewart? Casual, you were casually insulting. Insulting. Let me just say it was a great show. And Thank so, you for saying that. Um, anyone that wants to like kick Scott Galloway, better. You got to go through me. That's right. That's, That's right. That's right. I am such the chick in this relationship. I am sensitive and needy. No, do not fuck with me on this issue. Thank God. Seriously. Yes. Your opinion and affirmation means a lot to me, Kara. So thank yes. you. Yes. No more man in the street for you. But we are going to make a hit show. You'll see. You'll see. We will. Yeah. Don't Old you man worry. with erectile dysfunction in the street? No? <laughs> yes, no. no. <laughs> but it was a good show. And there were several good shows on that network. And uh, I think those people deserve, and the people who helped make them deserve kudos. Uh, it was not anything to do with the content. It wasn't 
terrible content. Same with Quibi. By the way, there was some very good stuff on Quibi. So mm-hmm. for those creative people, you'll be fine. It may be a little hard for a little bit, but stop kicking them around. They didn't, they, the content wasn't the problem. It's economics all the way. There you go. Um, anyway, so don't forget, we want to hear from our listeners. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your questions for us or call 855-51-PIVOT. The link is also in our show notes. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Can you read us out? Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Andrew Todd engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Bros and Neil Severo. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. 